0: Hello and welcome to episode number 76 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show, we take an hour or so to discuss the week's most interesting science and tech news. And today is the day after Halloween, so what better time to start off with what costumes we wore last night? Uh, Nick, I, I saw a little bit uh, on Snapchat of your costume, but I couldn't actually get the full pictures. So what, what
1: were you doing? Uh, I was part of a couple's costume with Kaya. We were going as a modern interpretation of American gothic and we also flipped gender roles. So that was exciting. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Is there anywhere people can see a whole picture of that? Uh, yeah, we probably have one or two around. Okay. Oh, I could I could send it along. It turns out that men and women are built very differently. Did you know that? I did know that vaguely yeah. where and so even though I was wearing a size 17 dress it was just very <laughs> constricting on my shoulders like I couldn't I had difficulty drinking cuz it like the you know everything just hit its maximum tightness as I was going for my mouth and it was you know. yeah I've Amazing, always thought dresses would be great but here we are I I wore one and it was just terrible terrible for the wrong reasons Yes yes that's too bad. It is. Nick, are you thinking really of is.
2: skirts being great because they have kilts that I hear men wear? So you could always just go I'm, for the kilt and get the I'm benefits of th- the dress.
1: They're they're prohibitively expensive, though. If you want a nice kilt, an actual kilt,
2: that's yeah, fair.
0: fair enough.
1: It's rough. The struggle is real, boys.
0: <laughs> Mike, what did you uh, do for Halloween last night?
2: We went out trick or treating. And I dressed up as a dad, and I, I didn't dress up. Okay. Rhea dressed up as Minnie Mouse, and Emma dressed up as Princess Sophia. So okay. That was fun.
1: Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. I was I was going to say, Mike, you could have totally rocked a dad costume, like wearing high white socks with sandals and <laughs> having, having a Blackberry on a little belt clip. I did yeah, actually also, used to
2: wear one of those in my first oh, job. Oh well, yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> that would have been cold, though. I think. Yeah, that's the only thing. If yeah. I was gonna pull off the shorts with white socks and sandals.
1: Yeah, okay. well, that's that's called commitment, and apparently, uh, <laughs> hmm. yeah. But, uh, anyways, well, what did uh, you dress
2: how, up as, Rob?
0: I well, that's a good question. I had the the fortunate opportunity to wear a onesie as was the trend this Halloween season. There were there were four people in onesies, myself and my wife included, uh, at the party I was at, about 25 people. And uh, it, it's very comfortable. It was quite warm for the first couple of hours until we opened up all the windows and I started to go outside for about five minutes every half hour. Uh, but I was a, a pink teddy bear with a heart on my chest. I looked vaguely like a... Like the New York's uh, the Times Square version of a Care Bear, like an, an unlicensed Care Bear. <laughs> ah, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun.
2: Now, Rob, were you Commando in this onesie?
0: I was not. I was wearing uh, the full formal undergarments with undershirt and underwear.
1: Is there a difference between formal undergarments <laughs> and just regular <laughs> undergarments? Specifying that there's an undershirt involved as well. I was gonna say maybe you have like a little tie clip on maybe <laughs> one of them or I didn't but uh, no my my costume had
0: uh, it had a zipper in the front which was nice because the other two people we were with had buttons and there were two little kind of foam squishy pink balls on, on the attached to the zipper and uh, it was very interesting later in the night the zipper went progressively lower until the balls were very. Much more sexual than I intended when I originally got the costume, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, if if people want, they can go to uh, my Facebook, and I'll probably post a picture later. But there are pictures all over Facebook of, or at least there's one picture all over my Facebook of uh, me in that costume. It was fun. But uh, we we do have some follow up this week from past episodes, and uh, Nick, I don't think these are fluff pieces. You're you're saying they are. You're, the last one here might be, but uh, the first thing I want to talk about and follow-up is we t- we've we talked about the new autopilot feature from the Tesla and people worrying that uh, there, were, there were videos all over the place of people just driving downtown. This is supposed to be a highway-only feature, but people just l- letting go of the, the wheel of their Tesla in downtown traffic and seeing what happened and filming themselves. Um, but the story here is that when they actually announced Autopilot, Elon Musk said that this, this was going to be a self-improving feature. So it's basically going to learn from how you drive and, and get better over time. Not only in your individual vehicle, but also the software itself will learn roads better and transmit that information back to Tesla to, to improve their algorithms. And people are reporting that already within the first couple of weeks, this is happening. So, for instance, uh, one of the things they noted was when you are on a highway. If you were driving past an exit, the car had a tendency to want to take that exit, even if in the GPS it wasn't set to, except mm. to just stay on the highway. And so, um, the the reported fix for that, or quote unquote fix, is to just kind of gently hold the wheel to prevent it from turning. And then people were well, I mean, it makes sense because you're supposed to have the hands on the wheel, right? Right. And uh, over time, over the over a couple of weeks of doing that several times, the car would now the car will now kind of start to veer off or like just kind of stay on the highway as opposed to taking it as opposed to taking the exit it'll it'll, it's almost like it's thinking about taking the exit and then decide not to but uh so i'm interested to see how this goes over time because if if these uh self-driving cars just become better over time than if they're already better than human drivers and they just continue to improve algorithmically it seems like it's just going to be uh an incredible transition where it's going to happen way faster than we think because everyone's going to want these cars that just enable you to not even pay attention to the road
1: i got excited. a I got a quick question for you sure did i not mute my mic for that sneeze and nose blowing i think you did i think you did I oh great, that's good i'm glad you now we it. all know
2: that you blew your nose so yep i gonna feed the purpose there
0: uh but yeah so <laughs> If that's pretty exciting and it makes me even more excited to try one of these uh, at some point there's a tesla dealership here so it's just a matter of time really before i get and get behind the wheel of one um but on, on a related piece of follow-up there's there's another piece of follow-up about self-driving cars a study has come out we talked in recent weeks about how the worst thing about self-driving cars and all the accidents that happen because of them are the human drivers around them hitting them because they're more cautious than we expect and this study goes through all uh went through audi google and delphi all are all companies that have autonomous vehicles that are tracking kind of the rate of accidents and how they happen and all the data surrounding them and the the headline here is that the study showed that self-driving cars uh, are not the problem and that other drivers are very good at hitting them just because they do things that are unexpected to human drivers uh odds are that if you if you had a cautious driver that was behaving in the same way as the tech was, that you'd get the same sort of instance of of people, for instance, hitting them from behind. Um, so I, it's interesting to see this this kind of research coming out. The fact that it's actually being researched independently is is probably a good thing. And uh, this is the University of Michigan that did this. And they're the ones that, if you recall from a past episode, built a, like a private little test track for autonomous vehicles so hopefully they'll have a lot more information coming out about the increasing safety of of self-driving cars in response to other human drivers
2: Hmm. i wonder how it handles yellow lights like when the light changes and gauging what the car in front of it's doing and also if it has enough time to make the light
0: it probably it's probably pretty good at those kind of i mean those are pretty classical in the sort of timing sense of the problem that humans are like are very bad judges of distance and time in that kind of scenario, but I imagine that self driving tech would be good enough unless obviously I think there are different lengths of time of yellow lights, yeah the, at, at a certain point, fleet technology and sort of crowdsourcing that data might actually make it to the point that it could be. Really easy to predict down to which intersection you're at, how long the yellow light's going to be. So I'd be interested to see kind of how that data changes over time. Mm-hmm. It'd be actually interesting to see how, because uh, sometimes they tweak algorithms of yellow lights. If a car or if a fleet of cars somehow learned, like they learned over time how long yellow lights were going to be. And then they tweaked the algorithm a little bit. If there were suddenly way more cars going through intersections than we're <laughs> supposed to be, just because they right. there's a shorter yellow than they were expecting. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Actually, we talked about the the consequences of uh, an AI picking, sort of killing five people versus killing one person and whether it would be responsible for the death of that one person. Um, it'd be interesting to see who would get the ticket in the case of like an autonomous car going through a red light.
2: It would probably I, just be a non-demerit, like the same way it is now, like red light cameras that assigns it to the registered owner, regardless of who's driving. Yeah. So it'd be the same thing with this. Right. It'd be like you huh. lend your car to someone, they get a ticket, it still goes to you. Right. Yes.
0: If you're responsible for the car, then yeah. if that's how it works already, then that's probably just how it's still going to work. Uh, And Nick, apparently this is the fluffiest piece of follow-up we have. I, I think it's pretty interesting because we're not talking anymore. This is about this this uh, star that people were... people certain people on the internet uh in dark corners of the internet were saying could have been aliens
1: uh, could have been a dyson sphere on this alien star uh, and alien we then that. proceeded to you know parrot despite yeah. the fact that you both knew that wasn't the case Th- they're we not both saying, like but it could we be knew so that cool. wasn't the case it yeah this is a another this it could be this also
0: it is <laughs> it's probably more likely that it's a distorted star and that's what they've new people are theorizing but it still theoretically could be some kind of megastructure uh the Even thing that i want to talk not. about i i know
1: it probably isn't you're right you're absolutely correct chances it probably are is it's not. not yeah are you willing to put money on this being a megastructure
0: uh no i would not do that okay i would not i don't really bet so it's not necessarily a good indication of uh of the cool. veracity of the rumors uh but anyways so this the new or not new theory but another one of the theories that i just want thought was interesting was that this could be a distorted star and i hadn't obviously the term distorted star makes you think of just a star that's not exactly spherical but my understanding had been that for the most part stars are incredibly spherical like to a fault they're any features they have are really, really small compared to their overall size. Like they're almost perfect circles uh, unless they're spinning very quickly and then they tend to bulge at the equator. But this could be one of those things that's actually spinning so rapidly that it's just its just a really, really weird shape. And so they've looked at uh, – there's a link here from Gizmodo that I'll post in the notes, but showing just a bunch of different very oblong stars looking – super weird mean oblong and or ob- oblate either one i think works. it says
2: oblate in the article but
0: i mean ob- oblate is probably a the spherical word for oblong mm-hmm. uh, i would no. imagine which makes oblate the correct term because we're talking about a three-dimensional structure we,
1: we learned about oblate and prolate rotors when we were in fizzcam, which Stuff by I mean. Dave Brace, which I'm gonna go with Nick, on who you head. studied with. So I'm, I'm, j- I'm a little surprised you don't remember all that, Rob. I, I, I remember that word, I just feel like oblong is definitely a word.
2: It says oblate yes. multiple times in this article.
0: I, <laughs> nobody is protesting that. I'm just saying that oblong is a word, okay? Uh, it is it's but the wrong word for yeah. your purposes, yeah. I agree, that's okay. it's true, as long as we agree uh it in fact does mean what i figured it is referring to two dimensional um non non equal sided things and so yeah i just thought this was this was cool to hear more theories i i'm a little disappointed that the leading theory is not still aliens um but even though that's never what it was going to be it probably isn't what it was going to be that's true nick probably okay. not. Um so Nick, you have some clickbait here that probably isn't fluff. Uh what's your follow-up?
1: Oh. This is a follow-up from our health episode from a year or two back. <laughs> yeah. Just uh you know, vegetarianism is a thing and all that, but really what I wanted to do was on the podcast say the best headline ever, which is it wasn't worth it, says 103-year-old vegetarian. <laughs> That's a really, really great story. And it's they've got this the onion. just forlorn-looking old man looking into the camera here.
3: Hmm.
0: He, but he does, it does say he extended his life, apparently. Yeah. And he hates least, it now. Yeah.
2: This This reads like an Onion article.
0: It does. It does read like an onion article. Even, Are you but, sure
2: it's not?
1: I have thought about it, and regardless the er, the validity of the article, notwithstanding, that's still the best headline I've ever read. It is.
0: Yeah. Th- this um, this Roy Hobbs does not seem like a real person. Um, but nevertheless, I can absolutely agree with the sentiment, and uh i love meat so much that i have a feeling that uh yeah i would this, I would this definitely
2: sounds like satire i could i could totally see that, mm-hmm. that now, the said, last line you, is if i could if i could i would appear to my younger self as an apparition and say eat burgers and meat pies too but in a deep ghosty voice so that it sounded convincing
1: <laughs> um i should did point guys, out did you yeah, guys neg- hear all the kerfuffle about red meat this week
0: it's it's in there. We're going to talk about
1: the red meat thing and the processed oh, meat thing. That's good. Because, I mean, I asked in the chat and you didn't respond.
0: Well, so I know. Because, we're doing it
1: over the, over the air. That's, yeah. that's cool.
0: We're talking about something else. But uh, I, I will get back to you. But uh, that being said, I Googled Roy Hobbs and he's the guy from The Natural, the movie, the baseball movie. So I assume that this isn't.
2: <laughs> it says Selling. the Daily Mash is a satirical website which publishes spoof articles.
0: Yes. Wait, <laughs> was this Nick's deliberate attempt to get more fluff into the show?
1: <laughs> or I didn't is it say just that, about Rob. The headline? I think you just did. What? I didn't say that, Rob. I think you just did.
2: It didn't work, Nick, because it stood out as satire right away to me. Oh,
1: okay, well, <laughs> half your stories are still as fluffy as my hair is today. I I agree with the satire, though. It's It's a good point. Is it, though? All right.
0: It is, yes. Um, The first thing that I want to talk about in our main show, uh, this morning was the, the end of daylight savings time for another year. And every year when I wake up on the first day of daylight savings being over, I read a bunch of think pieces about how it should not be a thing anymore. And so what do you guys think? Do you care about this extra hour and then losing an hour in the spring or do you just kind of roll with it?
1: Oh wait, Mike. we talked about this on East Meets West, not Future Chat. <laughs> it's not follow up. It's just, it's just a
0: thing. <laughs> what do you think,
2: Rob? To answer Mike? your question, I would, when you have kids, uh, daylight saving doesn't mean anything as far as gaining or losing an hour because your kid's going to wake up anyway. Right. So, to either way, you lose the hour. You lose two hours really because your kids just stays up and then gets up earlier. And then I guess (laughs) they go to bed earlier the next day, possibly. Uh, but honestly, I think when it comes to this and you know, time zones and that kind of stuff, it's just, it's normal. So we, we roll with it. Mm -hmm. And I think if it was different, it would be change and people don't like change. So I don't think you'll ever see it not be a thing anymore.
0: it would be a change to a lack of change. So I feel like that would cancel out and people would just wouldn't care. Like the change would be removing a change. If you meanwhile, got rid of daylight
1: savings, there'd be no more changes. And meanwhile, in Saskatchewan, we th- they don't have to talk about this nonsense.
0: Yeah. Um. So th- there's been a lot of talk. In these think pieces that I read every six months about the the increase in accident rate, the increase in heart attacks, the increase in every kind of medical malady possible. And uh, I I completely agree with this. One thing this did, I've been, uh, it's been about six months that I've been living on uh, universe, universal coordinated time. And that, as far as I know, I can't, I don't actually know if it follows because I've only been on it for less than the last six months. I don't actually know if it follows the Greenwich Mean Time and British Summer Time of changing with daylight savings, but right now, yesterday there are four hours difference between my time zone and the time on my phone and computer, and now there are five hours difference. So this is very confusing.
2: Is isn't the point of the UCT to be constant, like not needing yeah, to be Yeah, well, I would
0: think. I would think so. I would completely agree with that, but I don't know because I haven't lived through it. But uh, we'll find out in a couple of weeks when London, because Britain changes time in a different in a different week than we do. They do still do the daily savings, but at a different point. So we'll see if my clock sinks back up to four hours or if it stays five hours apart. But waking up, waking up this morning, I wasn't sure if I was going to miss this by an hour, or so I made sure to wake up a couple hours early just so I could be prepared either way. What? But you're going but backwards, yeah. so then you'd be early for it. No, but just because I didn't know what time, like I wasn't sure if my clock would also change or if it wouldn't, and my clock didn't change.
1: Rob so. is awake, going all. What like is time, man? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I agree with all these think pieces that we don't need daylight savings. It was it was theorized as a joke by Ben Franklin, uh, like way back over a hundred years ago and then people started doing it in Germany in the first world war and then they stopped and then they started doing it again for the second world war to apparently try to save fuel during daylight hours and uh it never stopped after world war 2 and it's just not it's just a waste of time and it causes accidents and there's a huge loss of job productivity the day after and the week after it's just it seems like a waste of time to me uh okay nick you want to talk about processed and red meat and cancer. So uh what did you ha- what did what did you think about this the World Health Organization announcing this um re reclassification of uh the cancer risk
1: from processed meat? Well, why don't you take us through what they actually said, Rob?
0: It, yeah, okay. Um so the the article I posted here is actually the think piece that came after the whole thing about the experts that were chiming in to say stop worrying about this after people started worrying about this and so that's the thing that i most wanted to kind of get across this week so the world health organization classified um, processed meat and i guess red meat to a lesser extent in a similar category to tobacco for being its predilection to cause cancer and Basically, my thought on this was summarized in a tweet I tweeted this week, which is everything causes cancer. So just live your life and try to avoid doing unhealthy things to an unhealthy extent and probably don't smoke at all because it's not really necessary. But for the most part, you need protein and the fat that comes from meat. It's a very convenient, easy way to get those nutrients. And while processed meat is probably not great, in general, not the cancer thing, totally separate. Um, I don't think anyone should really change their habits based on this classification. And it also, there are a lot of people pointing out that just because something can cause cancer doesn't mean that it is going to cause cancer or that it's going to cause a lot of cancer. And so changing your lifestyle or diet in any way, unless you're eating a couple Baconators a day, this probably isn't going to affect your life very much. And that was, that was really the the most uh, thing I took from this.
2: Yeah, I think I, I tend to agree unless you have something like, I don't know, a heart condition, like high cholesterol, where you have to avoid certain foods or diabetes or that kind of thing. If you're an average healthy person, there's really no reason for you to modify your diet drastically. Like, yeah, as long as you're not eating bologna sandwiches for every meal every day, then you're probably going to be okay eating processed meats on the normal f- frequency that, you, that a normal person would. Like, Yep. And yeah, like you said, I think you can almost correlate anything to cancer rates these days. And I, for one, will not be giving up my Baconators. <laughs>
1: Can you yeah. even call that living if you're not having fried bologna a couple times a day? Exactly. What, what kind of life is that? <laughs> fried bologna is so delicious. I'm not yeah, actually a big fan of fly, fried bologna. Fried you bologna, are? Salami now. That's living. I mean, bologna is pretty good, but I haven't had it in years. Pastrami is also fabulous. It
2: is. But yeah, um... So so what do these it's, experts say that you're there's a new study out or a new think piece out well yeah I'll put the link to this to this mashable article but it
0: summarizes a bunch of stuff the World Health Organization posted to clarify some of the things that people were some of the conclusions people were jumping to um so process they they specify that when you process meat in that that's referenced in the report um salted meat cured meat uh smoked meat that kind of thing um that's what they mean by processed meat and uh so p- apparently that led people to say is so raw meat is that safer is that something as long as it i guess doesn't have uh as long as it doesn't have bacteria or anything contaminating it but uh it's not just processed meat there there's also a thing about red meat and basically it's not the the main point to take away from it is it doesn't mean that they're equally dangerous and you should go and actually read the whole the whole article if you want to really familiarize familiarize yourself with this um but the whole point of their rating system which is grouping things together based on the risk of getting cancer um and all all this does is say that they think it is possibly an agent of cancer. It doesn't talk about the level of risk involved um, of actually getting it. And so it's a it's a nuanced difference, but I think it's an important difference. And yeah, I basically don't worry about it
2: as Did as a, a standard with these of- types of
0: things. It's group one, they say, which is the same the same group that things like asbestos and cancer um, and tobacco are in. I, oops, I accidentally called tobacco cancer. That's a weird, uh, <laughs> weird <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, don't don't worry so much about this. Maybe if you're eating a ton of processed meat, you should probably think about changing that. But for other reasons, than than this uh, possible cancer risk. Uh, okay, Mike, you, we uh, we learned this week a little bit more about the future. Whoa, of whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. I wasn't done talking about that oh, first one.
0: Fair enough. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I just wanted to say that I thought it was really interesting to see the full cycle along everything mm-hmm. that that last week just took. Like first the WHO puts out the study and then everyone starts freaking out and then all the experts started freaking out. And then we came to a kind of equilibrium. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was yeah. fascinating to sit back and watch on
2: Facebook. It is
0: fascinating. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's very like elastic motion. It's like it kind of pulls and then it's violent. And then yeah, it settles that kind of a midpoint where everyone's like, Oh, it's, That's what it means. Okay, we don't need to freak out anymore. But it was
1: nice that the actual information kind of had a backlash in this case. Yep. Rather than just, you know, all of a sudden the gluten-free section will be entirely (coughs) unprocessed meat section somehow. Yeah.
3: All
0: right, uh, Mike, why don't you tell us what, what we learned this week about the future of Android
2: it's It has more to do with the future of Chrome OS um mm-hmm. because Chromebooks have become kind of I don't know what they are. I don't know what place they have in the market, but people seem to be using them enough for them to still be sold and manufactured and up until now or for them or in their whole existence so far, they've been running Chrome OS, which I'm not entirely certain, but it's probably some sort of type of Unix-based system.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't know if Nick could comment on that more.
1: Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's well Linux-based, not Unix-based. Yeah. Or, but. yeah. Well
2: Yeah. Okay. Um But now we've learned that since Chrome and Android have kind of been merged into the same department with an alphabet, they have now come out with news that they're going to start offering Android based Chromebooks or PCs, I guess. Mm -hmm. So instead of running Chrome OS, they'll run a version of Android. There's no word on if it's gonna be like an exact copy of what we know to be, say, Android marshmallow, just running on a Chromebook um or a PC or laptop or whatever you want to call it. But it's they'll have the option of either a Chrome OS or or an Android based operating system. Just to kind of have more consistency between devices and being able to utilize the Play Store um, for both PCs and mobile devices. So this is kind of along the same lines as the Windows strategy of having Windows 10 be the same across devices, just adapting to whatever device it's on. And even Apple to that extent is kind of their operating systems are very similar. Like the, the user experience is similar kind of. Are they? In what sense? Uh, just in, well, like there is still an app store for your MacBook or your MacBook Air or whatever. And the apps are very, maybe it's just the app store aspect that's kind of similar in that sense.
0: I I would agree, I would yeah I would disagree with the overall fact that they're similar. They have a lot of services that overlap yeah. from Apple, but in general, there's only a few different apps that, like for instance, if you submit an app to Android, the Android Play uh, Google Play Store, you you would be able to at some point when these launch download an app to a lap this Android laptop the same way you would to your Android phone and yeah. same with Windows, but with Apple. They're completely separate code bases. Still, you'd need to okay. make two separate apps for each okay. of the two platforms. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm. At first, when I read this, I was like, "So they're just going to have a tablet with a keyboard and call that a laptop?" Like, but it's. I'd. I'd imagine the Android operating system would be more PC like in the sense of moving a cursor around and having a taskbar and that kind of thing, versus just throwing an Android ui on on a laptop i'd hope that's the way they'd handle it anyway yeah agreed um nick what's your what's your take on this you've you've i don't care not in the least you've used android phones before you have, have you have a dual booting laptop right now
1: and i have also used chrome os before okay
2: what was your experience with chrome os how did you it was fine It was fine would you use Or try out an Android OS in light of your Android phone usership. Sure, yeah. See no reason not to. (laughs) Rob, what's what's your
1: uh, hot take on this? My my take is
0: originally it seemed like people were saying that Chrome OS was going to disappear. After this report came out, and people were like, and then well, the people at Google were like, no, that's not that's not what's happening. It's going to be kind of. Android will move in the direction of becoming something that can go on any device, any type of device, but Chrome OS is still going to exist independently. And I I think that's good because Chrome OS as it stands is limited to whatever thing you can build for Chrome, whereas Android, you can basically build any kind of app and you don't have to stay within the constraints of a web browser with extensions. And so I think it's important to have that distinction. I think it's good to have Chrome OS be separate, although eventually I could see Chrome OS being kind of an app that goes onto an Android laptop type of thing where it would have the same storage capabilities. You be able Because right now with Chrome on Android, you can't open any kind of web apps or extensions or apps or anything like that. But it'd be interesting to see a merger of that where basically it's just you have the Android operating system with all the Play Store benefits in that, but then you have chrome functions more like chrome os where you can have local store a little bit of local local storage as a cache uh and you could do kind of the extension thing that chrome could do so i'd be interested to see if that happens over time but people are people have been theorizing about this for several years and i think it'll be several more years they said that like 2017 is when this is actually gonna finally finish happening so we'll see
2: i'd like to see a continuum type setup for android that'd be cool That that would pull me back away from the Microsoft side, I think, if if Android came out with a similar thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right, Mike, you have another um, mobile-related... This one's a, I guess, two-part net neutrality slash bundling Mm -hmm. double feature.
2: Yeah, T-Mobile being the uh, pioneers of the cellular service in the States, there's rumors of them releasing a service where, or a feature, I guess, where streaming video from certain content providers would not count towards your data limits. And this is just under their rumored uh, Uncarrier 10 event, or scheduled Uncarrier 10 event, and the rumored uh, announcements that they'll make for that. Because the tagline for the event is, we never hit pause. So, okay, and then I think some insider leaked the, The the rumor of, well, they're just going to tell you that uh, the streaming video content won't count towards your data cap, which is a pretty big step because as we're all experienced before that video eats up a lot of data and those who don't have unlimited data, they can eat up their limit very quickly. So we've had discussions before with services where they won't count music streaming towards your data. And if that would count be considered net net neutrality or violation of net neutrality, that is. And this is kind of in that same space of allowing certain content providers kind of special privileges. So yeah. in this case, say, if you watch Netflix, it won't count towards your data cap or YouTube or whatever. Um, this obviously, for those that have data caps, would be a welcome change. Yeah. Are we going to start seeing more of this or are we going to see fighting to stop this type of initiative do you guys think
0: i think that what we're gonna it's interesting to see i mean t-mobile is doing all kinds of crazy interesting things trying to shake up the smartphone industry in well the the mobile industry in the states uh rogers i would say is the closest analog in canada they keep increasing the prices of their shared plans while giving you all kinds of bundling things now when you get now when you get a rogers plan for instance you get show me bundled in you get uh shop uh, shopify you get spotify bundled in you get rogers nhl game center this season is all bundled in
2: they have their like home like
0: home yeah yeah is uh they're, they're just adding all these incentives but these are things that you can pay for, you could pay for separately and so if you didn't if you don't actually use them or care about them you feel like why am I paying for this? I think it would be a lot better, maybe not business wise, but uh, i'm not I'm not a head of Rogers in any kind of business sense uh, although it'd be sweet if I would because in- immediately I would do this. I would take off these and then let you make the plans cheaper and then let you add them on at discounted rates. It just it seems like that makes a lot more sense because some people like you're giving NHL game Center to a bunch of people who just statistically are not NHL fans. There are going to be some people that are going to be like, yeah, this is awesome. But basically what that does is it subsidizes the NHL fans with people who by making people who aren't NHL game center fans paying, pay for them. And same with Spotify and and all these other services that are bundled in. If you don't use them, you, your bill is paying for the people that do. Yeah, but They're also paying for it, but you're helping out kind of like, um, When you get a bus pass, if you don't use the whole thing, like they need a certain number of bus pass users in order to make the transit system pay off. Because in general, they're the people that are putting the most money into the system. And so, I forget, did I answer your original question? I don't think I did.
2: No, I I was saying, do you think that we're going to start seeing the rest of the industry follow suit, or people or the services saying you're not allowed to do that or you shouldn't be doing that no
0: i well i think the services are entirely on board because again it boosts their subscriber numbers they can say people like uh spotify can say oh every single share uh everything customer of rogers is a spotify subscriber because they're it's bundled in right and so i think that services are just increasingly incentivized to bundle to package themselves up with carriers because Content is kind of king, and having the most subscribers is a way of showing that your content is what people actually want to take in. Right. So, I don't, I don't think that people will protest this. I think the users, if they knew what was good for them, would because otherwise, we'll eventually just get to the point where you'll end up paying two or three hundred dollars a month for a service, and you'll be able to just watch anything, listen to anything. Um, like everything will just be bundled in to one service package and you'll only be able to actually realistically use one or 2% of that package, but you'll be paying for all of it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It might already be that way. That that could be the case.
2: Nick, you have yeah. data caps. Would you, <laughs> I'm not pointing that out for the sake of it, but would you move to a carrier that has this type of service? i don't know
1: because honestly i don't use that much data Hmm. like it i mean depending on prices like if it was cheaper than what i was paying already i'd consider it but i just i don't use that much mobile data Hmm. like a lot of what i do out of the house is reading yeah so I, i like especially if i'm stuck on a bus or something like that i like reading the news on my phone
2: right
1: and that's it's not really data heavy Right, Like if I had that makes sense. M- much bigger caps, maybe I'd watch the national, but I don't know. Right. So makes sense.
0: If you had unlimited, if you just had unlimited data, do you think there's m- more you'd like, do you think there's a lot more you do or do you think there's just a little bit more you'd do?
1: Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Okay. Like I, 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 think, had when- I think I would watch more video. Yeah. But I don't really hesitate to watch video as it stands. Right. So but I
0: You have the limit in the back of your mind though, I assume.
1: Yeah, but I have it's it's a two gig cap, so I can I can do a lot. The only thing I really don't or I really try not to do is update my apps when I'm away from right. Wi Fi. And Right. That makes sense. And I don't feel as though I'm hurting by you know depriving myself of the fully updated app right there right Right. then that second
2: yeah no that makes sense yeah Yeah. i think i found that sorry sorry, well
1: given my battery life i probably wouldn't want to be updating away from a charger anyway so interesting maybe if i had a better phone and a better uh data plan maybe then this would be less of a you know hypothetical discussion
2: but yeah that makes sense yeah, I find that updating apps does take up quite a bit of data. I especially yeah. Facebook who updates like literally every other day. So
0: I I think Android Marshmallow is going to have this where um apps will only download the changed files as opposed to downloading the entire updated like oh, the good. entire app update bundle. Um iOS just got that in iOS 9 as well. Um, on iOS they call it app thinning and I know a little bit more about the details of that but basically it means that if you if you make one if you submit like one or two bug fixes and you change a couple of lines of code you can ship an app update that is like 500 kilobytes or two megabytes yeah but Facebook insists every two weeks they send you another 115 megabyte update yeah (laughs) for the the smallest changes they send the entire thing
2: yeah Update. I think this is actually a good time to, to bring up my, my beta testing endeavor. Yeah, sure. Because as you guys know, I had, or may be aware already, I was on the Facebook app beta mm-hmm. for Android. And yeah. it was all like, oh yeah, cool, you get this feature. And then it disappears in the next update and they get a new feature. But lately, every other update would make the app unusable. Like the last huh. the last beta update I got, I couldn't even open the app. It would open, hold (laughs) for like two seconds, freeze, and then crash. Right. So I'm like, and that's not the first time. There's times where you'd open up the comment, like the little comment pop-up thing, and then you try to back out with the back button and it crashed. So you'd have to like snap it close or whatever. Like you couldn't operate the app the same way that was natural. And I'm like, this isn't worth having it. And uh, yeah, it was like updating every single day. And it's like, this isn't beta testing. This is just straight up. Bug finding like it's not a b oh what type of feature is being used more it's like does this app work no okay right but it's for me beta testing shouldn't be like that and rob you've beta tested quite a bit and i'm sure you feel the same way that you don't want to be used as a crash dummy like you want to be testing features yeah so
0: that's yeah
2: i'm not on, on that beta anymore you need
0: that sounds more like an alpha type of yeah thing. And no for sure my experience with with the facebook app beta that i was on last summer is that's what it is because they basically update it every day yeah that's a that's a daily that's an alpha that's not a beta yeah but uh mostly what they do now with with the facebook app is the beta test is in the app itself the main app because they, they're constantly doing A-B testing, giving people different sets of features. Yeah, That's that's what beta is more than being on the cutting edge every single day getting updates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we have here, maybe we can just talk about it briefly, Sprint, uh, Sprint's new unlimited plan that is just not unlimited at all.
2: Yeah, it's, well, it's unlimited, but it's, it's limited in the usable data sense, because... It has a gigabyte of three G or no gigabyte of four G uh HSP plus slash LTE, maybe depending what your phone's capable of. Yeah. Data. And then after a gigabyte it steps down to two G speeds. So like not three G, like two G edge speeds. Yeah. Where you're Yeah, no, (laughs) exactly. Where and then that's unlimited. And it's like, what are you gonna do on two G? Like you can't do anything on two G. Right. And it's like they're, they're selling it as unlimited data and it's cheaper than I think it was Verizon's unlimited plan. But Verizon doesn't call it unlimited because it's not. Right. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that, well, it's a sales tactic and I guess maybe they're thinking that for the average person, they're not going to notice. But if someone sees unlimited data, then it's usually power users that are going to be going for that.
0: Yeah. So I think it's training wheels for people who aren't using data right now. It's to get them in the door. Yeah. People like Amon who have no data, net, no data at all, they pay for every kilobyte they use, would be like, wow, only $20. that, For that nominal small amount of money, I can get unlimited data. And then they'll use it And then when they hit that cap, they'll just go back to the way they were using, using it extremely sparingly because it'll be incredibly slow.
2: Yeah. Like I know of people who don't use things like WhatsApp because they have data caps. Right. It's like those are like not even a kilobyte each message. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, maybe for someone who has those worries, this would actually work for them because they can just message all they want on their unlimited 2G data. For sure. But I guess that being said, having unlimited plans is better than limited because I think 2G speeds are better than no data. So yeah, I'd rather have all the services have unlimited data, even if it's capped and throttled than not
0: having unlimited. But not one gig.
2: No, not a gig. No, like maybe five gigs. Yeah. I was going to say two or three, but yeah, five, I think is. Data is not that expensive, it's just not. Well, they're they're trying to make back the money on their investment, and data is the easiest thing because everyone. Oh, I know, wants I it. know,
0: I understand why they do it, but the the thing that a lot of people don't, and I've mentioned this before, but I'll just say it briefly again, they're trying to recoup their investment, but the government puts so much money into network infrastructure that yes, they invest. Like, companies like Rogers and Bell and Telus invest in infrastructure. I'm not saying they don't. But they get massive subsidies and they get massive help from the government to build out these networks. And they don't be, – because it is in the best interest of the country, they don't pay that all back. They
3: right.
0: It's the government investing in infrastructure. Right. And Rogers and the other companies reaping the benefits. Right. And
2: yet they don't consider it a utility and don't regulate right. it as such, which is exactly. ridiculous.
0: But at some point, we'll get there.
2: Hopefully. Actually, I guess, I guess they are looking at making it a utility. So at least Canada, they are. So yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. Nick, uh, you have a story here. I do. You want to tell us about aliens uh,
1: on Earth? You totally just switched the story out right there. Well, I know in because that you, I was looking at the priority. <laughs> so, Nick, what happened was I was totally preparing for the other story, getting ready for it. What happened was this a, one.
0: As we were finishing up, I looked at the thing and they were both number five, and I was like, "That's not right." So I switched them, or I, I made one of them number six, and then I looked at it and I was like, "Wait, this number, this one that's lower in priority is actually the one you want to talk about more." So the one you want to talk about more is this alien DNA thing.
1: Yeah, this is actually a super, super old one. Yeah. That I think I had in months ago and just forgot about. Okay. But it's super cool. The headline, don't freak out, but scientists think octopuses might be aliens after DNA study. And the long and short of it, as I, you know, just remember after glancing over is octopus DNA is so significantly different than every other, you know, living being on earth that through conventional evolution, it seems unlikely based on, you know, the DNA set they're looking at that it would have come from terrestrial sources. Hmm. Mm. So they're thinking like, I mean, they're looking at it and trying to find common ancestors and stuff like that. And I'm sure you can find, you know, commonalities among other living beings. But it's like, this is just such an entirely different branch. Right. That it it doesn't seem wholly implausible that it could be from an alien source. Wait. <laughs> I, I want to point out uh, the
0: slight amount of irony here. That you are now jumping to the conclusion of aliens in the same show as you derived from being the same It's not implausible.
2: That's exactly, exactly what we were saying before.
0: Thank you, Nick. I accept your apology. <laughs> Let's move on.
1: What what else? So tell us more about this. I, I basically told you everything. Like, what do you guys think about it? What's your what's your reaction?
0: I uh I'm intrigued. I would think that if this were actually true, they describe this as being, as having been put in a blender and mixed, which I don't think is what would happen if you had alien sources for this DNA. It just seems like it's been, they they describe it as being shuffled as well. It seems like that's not, that's not what would happen if completely foreign DNA came in. It would be the same, but in a different order. And it just seems kind of more like this was a almost like some kind of radiation accident where some kind of event to do, like, I'm not talking about radiation, like a nuclear bomb or something. I'm talking actually, about actually like
1: radiation. No, cause there, from space. there have been mass extinctions that yeah. wiped out, you know, the vast majority of life on Earth. So this could that could be what yeah. happened there, like, because, uh, I'm thinking specifically of gamma ray bursts. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, nearby, too. Nearby stars. Yeah, that could be it, too. But it's just, it's really interesting that they've looked at the genome of this and gone, you know what, that's, uh, huh, I don't know. I just don't know.
0: Yeah. It, it's weird that this had, didn't happen earlier, because people, they've been doing sort of genetic sequencing of creatures for a long, well, not a long time, but a relatively long time in, in terms of news and uh it it seems like if it was this different they would we would have heard about it before now at least i would have heard about it before now but it's it's really cool and they are they're incredibly advanced uh they're incredibly advanced species and i've even heard it described as though their limbs basically function independently of each other and of their brain yeah like they're capable of working together but they're basically like a team as opposed to one individual controlling a bunch of different
1: limbs. Yeah. Definitely different than anything else. I mean, you look at this and you like the researchers see it and go, huh, I, you know, I like it just, it could be, could be anything really. I, I don't know. I just don't know. As opposed to, you know, seeing a light signature from a star blink and experts going oh yeah there are any number of plausible explanations for this and then everyone else yelling aliens is it aliens yeah
0: i mean you yelled aliens in this case too
2: okay just to kind of real-time follow-up here yeah there's another article that says that they quote the article that we're talking about that says Mm -hmm. obviously no one thinks the octopus is an alien from another planet nature news quotes one co-author of the paper on the genome noting that the alien quip is a joke yeah mm. but it certainly is alien to standard evolutionary expectations so right. i don't think the alien aspect is more of a kind I'm of still going alien headline grabbing. they landed
1: they sat down and they were like okay we'll just tweak this this and this and we're in the sea good <laughs> we'll watch the humans from here <laughs> makes sense to me
2: but yeah i think the alien aspect is a little bit over exaggerated but i think it's right. still it's interesting to to read about the genome just not being what you'd expect and kind of being so different than anything else yeah and more have complex you guys ever, than
1: us have you guys ever eaten octopus yes i've had
0: calamari that that's, that's similar not octopus, octopus. This i never said mean. it was i said well, I've had why are you even talking similar. about it because <laughs> i'm assuming it tastes similar
1: uh, uh. It's got a, kind of yeah. a similar texture, but not re- like the tentacle and the that part of the squid are just so different, right? So, what is it like? It's
2: kind um, of more, I don't like it as much as calamari.
1: If it's done well, it's really good. It's it's got a very nice chew to it. <laughs> or, interesting, as my <laughs> as my cultural ancestors in Prince Edward County would say, it's got a real nice cha to it. <laughs> fair enough it's a little weird but it. although it's really easy to get wrong like you can have a lot of really tough rubbery octopus so you gotta you gotta go to a nice place to get it right
3: right that's
0: fair uh anything else to say on the this uh octopus
1: um super cool yeah mm-hmm. i just i wonder how that happened me too Um, also they're just crazy organisms just crazy it's cool
2: that for an for an animal as ubiquitous as the octopus we're still learning things about it yeah it's not even like it's a new species of anything it's like this thing that's been around forever we're still discovering these things about it yeah i agree i mean after reading this
1: study it makes a lot of sense because i assume researcher after researcher just kind of you know gets to a certain point in their career and just frisbees all their work at the wall and says, I, "That's it. I'm done. I can't deal with this stupid thing anymore." <laughs> and that—that's probably an inherent limiter of progress,
0: right? That's fair. Uh, all right, Nick. The next story you have for us here has thorn that I was actually
1: prepared for: Death Prince. Yeah, Energy Death Prince. I'm just gonna have you pull up the article so you can see the numbers. Oh, you S- know, what beta- would help. It's basically an article for the point of the list they compile. Okay. But this is some... Good God, what is happening on my computer screen? There it is. Okay. (laughs) They compiled a list of... uh, deaths from energy, but they've ranked it in terms of deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. Yeah. Kilowatt hours being a measure of power that's been produced. And... I think my my favorite energy source makes an appearance here. Right at the bottom of the list with the lowest mortality rate. It's nuclear and it's beautiful. And it includes the Chernobyl and Fukushima disasters.
0: Yeah, 90 deaths.
1: Yeah, 90 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours generated. Where the top of the list is coal with... A noted difference between Chinese and U.S. mortality rates with coal right. generation. It still comes out at the top of the list, which is interesting. But the mortality rate for Chinese coal is 280,000 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. And they were, they're were they responsible for – or it's responsible for 75 percent of China's electricity. Right. Whereas in the U.S., especially with some regulation, uh, it's – 15,000 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. Right. But since there's so much coal generation in China that makes the global average really really high. Yeah. The only the only other thing that comes out on top of that for, you know, US generation is oil with 36,000 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. And I found a lot of these surprising like biofuel biomass Is 24,000 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours generated.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And so I'd like to get into this with you guys, like, because a few of these just I find baffling. Like, I mean, they're baffling, but if you really think about it, maybe it makes more sense. Like, rooftop solar has 440 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours generated. And I'm almost certain that that is entirely from people falling off of roofs.
2: I was going to say, yeah.
1: yeah, because you
0: don't really hear about people in like manufacturing plants, because I'm sure they're dealing with chemicals that can't be good for your lungs. Uh, but it seems that seems very high. Same with wind energy. Like, are that many people getting hit by turbine blades? Because they're they're pretty high up.
2: For the solar, could it be the materials, like the precious metals being mined to create the solar yeah. panels? Oh yeah, that's true.
1: Well, yeah, but, that that happens for wind too. And yeah. I mean, also you have to. If you're doing any servicing on a turbine, you have to climb you have to climb up the Wachimahui. Yeah. And again, people fall down because people are people and you know. Right.
0: That's not attributed to wind energy. That's just people being human.
1: Yeah, that's that's the cost it, of having human beings do the work. Yeah. It would be interesting if you had this
0: uh if you kind of prorated this with kind of accident rates over the same time period that whatever they're they're discussing because i know it's death per trillion kilowatt hours i also don't really know what i have no re- reference frame for how much a trillion kilowatt hours is is that like a massive amount of energy or is that like i just i, I don't really know so it's hard for me to put it in context a, a light trillion? bulb is
2: like 60 watts or an incandescent bulb that is completely unhelpful so nice. 60 watts so a I kilowatt know this would off be off the top of my head
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think like a megawatt hour is what a house uses in a year. Yeah,
0: hold on. That sounds that sounds about right. But then you get into trillions and just like it's that's billion megawatt hours, and so that is that like the Earth's output in a day is that? It's hard. It's hard to put it in context because it's such a big number.
2: I, I don't think that's really the point, though, is it?
0: No, it, the point is comparing them. And I get yeah. that you have to use some unit, but it just, it's hard to put it in, in context when we're talking about wind energy causing 150 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. Is that, obviously, it's lower than other energy methods, but is it just a couple people a year falling off of wind turbines? Or is this like a relative epidemic of something that seems safe and isn't? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because obviously, coal is going to kill a lot of people because it's very dangerous and you're in a mine and. There's all this stuff going on, but it seems like wind is relatively harmless. Even f- like it, it seems like wind should be lower than nuclear because people have died from nuclear meltdowns, but like a wind turbine has never melted down. So it, it's just tough for me to put in context is all.
2: I think it's an interesting thing to look at though.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. It, uh, it does say in the paragraph below that win- workers regularly fall off wind turbines but also that relatively little ener- electricity production comes from wind
3: right
0: so it i don't think you should count people falling off of wind turbines in deaths caused by wind energy that's not that's not a good metric because like people How fall you, off of everything why would you not include that though but, that's like saying we shouldn't have roofs on our houses because people fall off of roofs and die i like get
1: yeah, but it the net part effect of, is that the roof protects people from dying.
0: Yeah. And wind, I I, I see why they do it that way. It just seems like the, there, you could come up with a different measurement system.
1: But it's a death associated with the power generation. How else yeah. do you account for that? Well, no, I agree. And
0: there, there will be a certain number of death. But I feel like if you're talking about one year of coal production in China at one point, plant versus wind production at one wind farm it it, there's going to be a certain number of people that fall through no fault of the actual energy production to their deaths but it seems like it's probably going to be if you're working with a similar number of people it's probably going to be a similar number of people falling like accidents related to falling and then you're going to have still hundreds of thousands of deaths from coal and you're going to have like two deaths from wind it, ju- it just seems like if yeah. you remove that as a variable, people well, falling mean, there, off of stuff.
1: There is then, a big difference between coal and yeah. wind. Like wind is 150, which I assume is just a lot of people falling down. Exactly. As opposed to coal where you have in the U.S. it says 15,000 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. And that's including things like respiratory illness that will right. kill people yeah. from yeah, coal yeah. generation. Exactly. So but, there is a big difference there. Yeah. But you got to account for the deaths... But, I just think
0: it's an an even bigger difference because if you had, like, I assume that every person falling off a wind turbine, that's a completely preventable, if you're following safety regulations, it's a completely preventable death because you'd be harnessed in or you'd be clipped into something. Like falling off of a turbine should not be a cause of, if you're following proper health and safety regulations, that shouldn't be a thing that actually kills people as part of the normal course of doing business. So what I'm about to say,
1: what I'm about to say could come off as condescending, but how many times have you worked in like a production sort of environment? Um, what kind of production? (laughs) Like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like the, the chemical plant that I worked in or the, you know, the analysis plant, but they had a sample plant. Not crushing a lot lot of rock. And so, you know, heavy machinery, health and safety regulations are super important to that kind of thing.
0: One, one summer's worth, I would say qualifies. Okay.
1: How often did you see people skirting the health and safety regulations because they didn't think it was really that important? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. So, but I mean, I I don't
0: think that should fall into the same category of wind energy causing. That's just like people being people.
1: Yeah, but if you are going to be people in any of these exactly, so it should be removed
0: as a variable. That's what I'm saying. If you removed people being people from coal and from wind energy, you'd have basically no deaths from wind. It would be a blip yeah as and if you removed
1: to, human error from driving statistics you would have no deaths when as a result of driving
0: well no that's not true because people will spin out and people like bridges because will they collapse. were going
1: too fast for the conditions because they're people and they but, committed a human error
0: you can follow the speed limits posted in an ice storm and still spin out and get in an accident you not know, if you're going slowly
1: I was going to say they do tell you to go slower in adverse conditions. That yeah. is a thing they tell you. I know. But within the law and within regulation
0: that it doesn't actually change.
2: I I'd, I'd argue that any road collision is preventable. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying I, to say.
0: I'm not going to
1: argue against that. That I I agree with that. So I mean, if we remove human error from everything, then there's like only
0: coal kills people
1: really. i was gonna say <laughs> coal oil natural gas biofuel those yeah. are the only ones that kill people and i mean look at look at the hydro one 15 of global electricity 1400 deaths per trillion kilowatt hour i'm sure i'm absolutely positive that a lot of that has to do with people drowning yeah yeah that makes sense and that's also from people being stupid and ignoring warning signs that are posted around hydro dams yeah for so sure Do you want to expo- exclude those too and say that hydro also has zero deaths even though it causes more deaths than wind or solar yes i do
0: i i think that the, these alternative energy sources would have a lot lower because they are inherently safer on the environment and that's what the big thing is here
1: and that's why when, they're lower than the other carbon emitters but
0: yeah but i'm saying it should be even lower if you remove that variable of so you just error. want to
1: report it as zero because that's academically no, dishonest. not zero
0: not necessarily zero i just want like we're well talking then about what are we, you
1: reporting
0: we talked about solar being a, a possibility being when people are out in dangerous areas digging up precious metals to use in the, in these um solar panels why are we talking Maybe. about not academic sure about that one
2: why are we talking about academic honesty in a forbes clickbaity think piece
0: yeah well i mean i don't know if this is literally in the same like a think piece in the same way this is uh like an actual is this report Clickbaity. how deadly is your
1: kilowatt <laughs> the title is a little clickbaity but it, it yeah okay
2: i wouldn't it actually say this gives is information. full-on
1: clickbait because it's actually talking about what's actually in the article it's a little sensational it's not an academic study though it's not like it's a report from the yeah it's it's not like we ranked the deadliest killer energy sources number four will blow your mind
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i it's it's not clickbaity it's it's phrased in a way that makes you want to click on it but i don't think that makes it
2: clickbait it it leaves a lot of questions and we wouldn't be having this discussion there's references
0: we okay, could, He links them. There's
2: no like numbers actually giving insight into where these rankings come from. but There are references all over this thing. There's references section at the bottom. Right. Not in the main article. They don't give much insight. but
0: You don't have to. They're to try to summarize. Anyways. Okay. Anyways. I think we've said all we're really going to say on this, and I think it's really interesting. Maybe um, we can try to do... I might be able to do some homework this week to try to get a little more information, but I probably won't. Um, it, it is very interesting. And maybe if if people listening have any thoughts, let us know. But uh, otherwise, we'll leave it for now and move on to, to the next story here. Uh, Mike, you have a story here. You want to talk about uh, tech in the classroom.
2: I did. I guess. Have you guys, when you guys were in university, did you use a Blackboard system? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. there's a similar, I don't know if it was directly related, but there was a, a physics module online that did questions, like online questions, and you had to multiple choice or free answer, but there were calculations, that kind of thing. But it was all done over the computer. And I think it was submitted through Blackboard or something. But in any case, the students completed it and the results got sent to the teacher, and you could see what percentage of students did the question correctly and how long it took them and that kind of thing. And I guess now these textbook companies who relied on selling textbooks and that kind of thing have started developing systems, software systems to in a sense replace the conventional uh teaching model of giving up giving a lecture, assigning reading, doing homework questions and kind of doing that on a daily basis and you know doing tests to make sure that your class is actually Learning what you're teaching them. What textbook companies are doing now is developing these software systems where it allows students to work through material, uh, do readings, watch videos, uh, work through exercises, all within the direct classroom setting with the teacher still there and acting more as a tutor for students that require help and assistance on these questions or with the readings. And it also allows students who are familiar with the material or who catch on quicker to not have to be waiting for the rest of the class or waiting for the lesson itself to kind of move forward. So, you know, if you're doing a a section on, you know, derivatives or differentiation, I guess, and you would like master that in half an hour, then it allows you to move on to the next thing instead of spending a week on differentiation when, For the next, you know, five hours of class time, you're just sitting there waiting for them to move on. Right. And there's a lot of, I don't want to call it controversy, but there's a lot of discussion on, A, is this kind of a realistic or beneficial uh, classroom setting? And is this going to be the future of classrooms where the teacher isn't relied on to kind of deliver the material? as kind of the primary delivery method, but you're allowing technology to do kind of a an adaptation to each individual student versus delivering the same lecture to the, you know, 50 kids and kind of trying to give your attention to everyone, whether they need it or not. So have you guys kind of like your, your experience with lectures and textbook readings and assignments, would you, think that this type of setup is a better alternative to what we're all used to right now i don't know if you guys had a chance to read this this article to kind of know exactly what i'm talking about but i glanced at it
1: i don't know it seems like modular teaching fairly straightforward Mm -hmm. it's just it's what you wish you could give to each individual child in the classroom via a teacher it's just that a teacher has so many man hours they can dish out so you employ computers to do something similar it's like you know let kids learn at their own pace and they'll probably do okay
0: yeah 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 one of the things that i found in in my own schooling is that for me it was very valuable to be able to go to like i'll go to class listen to the teacher give the lesson if I understood it, I really liked that time to kind of let my mind wander and kind of go in and out of... uh, There's been a lot of research done into kind of the mental health benefits of just kind of daydreaming or or not focusing for a while uh, in terms of creativity, in terms of kind of letting the connections that your brain has, has been trying to make form. And so I think that if I was like we're not we're not machines that are made to learn so it's not like the faster students are just going to perpetually be getting ahead um th- it's not like when you f- once you finish a lesson you're just going to move to the next one because you're you're doing it faster than the other kids you're gonna spend some time talking to friends you're going to spend some time um helping maybe other students in the class with the lesson if they're not understanding it well so i think that, that kind of the whole process of making it adaptable is good but i don't think it i don't think it needs to be drastically different than the current system where the teacher gives a lesson and then everyone kind of goes into their own thing i think it can be beneficial and i think there are like educational videos on platforms like youtube that already make this pretty possible where you can watch a 15 or 20 minute video giving a lesson and then do an exercise on it or talk about it in class um, without having to formalize it as this r- amazing advance in technology.
2: Yeah, I yeah. One of the benefits of this system that these companies come up with is the the teacher is sitting at their desk with, I guess, a website or an app that is giving live feedback on where students are within the curriculum or the lesson, what questions if like all the students are getting one type of question wrong, they can either address the entire class or if, you know, five students are getting the same types of questions wrong, then he can, the teacher can bring those five students and say, okay, you know, these are the types of how to approach these types of questions, but you're not having to uh, kind of have the whole class go over that material. If the rest of the students don't need that type of help. Yeah. Um. Like, and one of the other things that they kind of came out with when, when I was in university was the clicker questions. And I think you, I don't know if you guys had those as well, but it was kind of the same idea that in the middle of the lecture, the prof would put up the question, everyone would do their clicker, you know, ABCD, whatever. And it shows the results right away, you know, 60% of the class said this answer, 50% or 30% said this answer, whatever. And then, if everyone gets it, then it's like, okay, good. You guys are getting it. If you know, most of the class doesn't get it, then it's like, okay, we need, let's go over this a bit more. And I think that's kind of the next evolution step in that type of teaching where you're, Mm -hmm. you're taking the prof completely out of it and letting the software do kind of the explaining and the teacher can kind of come and help and give extra explanation if needed.
1: Sure. Although at uh, the same time you could, you could allow just, if people are getting everything, you could, allow them to go along to something they need they probably need to spend more time on true mm-hmm. yeah
0: uh, you there's a point here at the end uh in your your notes about it talking about software saying that an answer is wrong even though it could potentially be right yeah i've definitely experienced that with software and i think that it's an important thing that computers can't yet do that kind of nuanced work and i mean even even sort of rubriced uh, very templated answers actually can't uh get this nuance and so i i know i, I experienced or I wrote an exam for uh for a job last week and I'm, i was filling out this thing and i kept wanting to be like i know that a marker is going to see this exam and they're not like i can't explain why i did something the way i did it within the context of a computer exam but the whole nature of learning is that it's good to be able to kind of bounce ideas off something, some, someone that knows the information. And so it's good that a teacher is like, they're an essential part of this. It's essential to have when you're dealing with computers that may not get the nuance of something being not exactly right, even though it is technically still a completely valid and correct answer. Um, it's going to be something that they're going to have to figure out over time. And so I think if a teacher is there and actually paying attention to the using this technology, and not just kind of leaning back and letting it, yeah, kind of work, uh, it can be it can be very beneficial. But I see a lot of sort of the lazier teachers just saying, "Oh well, I have this this thing is going to teach my students, so I'll just sit back and if they have any questions, they'll let me know, and then they'll go to mark the this exercise that they did on the computer and." See a bunch of wrong answers the computer marked incorrect and, and just say oh you failed you're you're bad yeah whereas it could be the student just answered differently than the computer was expecting
2: yeah no, that's when I was reading this article that's kind of what I was thinking is that they I guess did a they call it a study but I don't know they also didn't I didn't read the study or or that and kind they of, looking right. into it further but they did a analysis of the teaching methods where you did the you know the traditional teaching and then these types of software and that there wasn't any significant difference in the performance of the students or classroom satisfaction or whatever. But my thought was, well, a crappy teacher, or just a teacher that doesn't buy into the system the same way or whatever, isn't going to have those results. You need a teacher that is able to explain the content. And if you just have a you know, not so good teacher, the students aren't going to benefit either way, whether it's delivered in a lecture format with everyone doing the same thing or having this so- adaptive software that gives the students an advantage. But if the teacher still can't explain the content or kind can, of can't identify where students need improvement or that kind of thing, then you're not going to see any benefit to, to using that software. So right. I think it's really good to have this type of thing as an option for a, a teacher that is able to buy into the system and. and uh, exploit the benefits but also for if he feels that the classroom could benefit where there's students who could move further or other students that need a bit more time on it whereas i know some classes just everyone's always at the same place anyway and they don't really need that individualized lesson Mm -hmm. so i thought it was just interesting to see this type of thing Possibly becoming the future of education, at least within some schools or classrooms.
0: Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll bring it to a close here with a few more quick stories, Mike. uh, You have a story in here that I don't even know how this relates to you, but I guess you're very interested in Uber coming to Calgary, and so you want to talk a bit about Uber in Canada and their their legal battles.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't even realize the different types of legal hurdles that Uber had. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was, they were against it or cities were against it because it eats into the taxi market share, but it sounds like there's a lot of insurance related stuff or licensing and that kind of stuff that the regulations just haven't caught up with where industry is going. Right. And yeah, these, these states and provinces and countries are playing, uh, kind of catch up with, with these companies such as Airbnb and Uber where you have just kind of your everyday person either sharing their home or their vehicle with other people and getting compensation for it. And I know in Alberta, uh, Uber recently, I think one or two weeks ago, came in and started up, and there's a lot of uh, insurance issues where Uber carries additional insurance coverage for their drivers, but in Alberta currently, the laws don't allow for that type of insurance to cover passengers. So that's why that, you know, $5 million liability doesn't really mean anything when you're an Uber passenger here in Alberta, but it might in in other provinces. So I guess just this story about uh, in Ontario, Airbnb and Uber type companies where there's, you know, just everyday people sharing their vehicle or the home are going to start getting more regulation and more allowances to operate versus just either existing in a gray area or just outright violating bylaws which yeah. is good to see because i th- I think you don't want it to be a free-for-all you just you want it to be regulated and controlled and safe for everyone using it because you've you've heard a lot of horror stories on on airbnb maybe not a lot but isolated horror stories on yeah. airbnb and i know uber in places like india have been very controversial in, in how drivers treat their passengers so You definitely want to make sure that things are done properly. So, uh, yeah, this just the news that there's been a bill to legalize the Airbnb and Uber services in Ontario and is going to a second reading. So it's better than it getting shot down in that first reading. So,
1: yep, yeah, it seems like how many readings does it have to go through three? I think three. Sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah.
0: At least they're working with it as opposed to just saying, no, (laughs) they're realizing it's a thing and we should actually figure it out.
1: I've actually been impressed with the legislation going through Ontario recently. Yeah. They've done a few goofy things that I can't remember off the top of my head that I'm not pleased about. But like the beer store, this, it's just good. I'm happy. Proud of my home province. I love the old Uber.
2: I've got seven free rides now. (laughs) It's amazing. Oh, man. (laughs)
1: once they get insurance yeah yeah mike would never take it illegally never of course not
2: i've never in my life taken uber from a bar after your bachelor party
0: not in alberta no (laughs) no that's true that's good (laughs) uh okay so i have a story here that i thought was pretty interesting and i kind of wanted to get you guys take on it uh and it was something that i never really thought of so uh you don't really talk to your doctor very much you see them kind of on a i mean i haven't seen a doctor in in several years now but you see your doctor on a on a regular basis but it's like annual or every six months maybe or if you have a an a real problem uh and so doctors don't get a lot of experience or a lot of time actually hearing how patients feel about certain things and so they're This uh, study came out uh, about the use of Twitter and I guess other social networks could equally work, but Twitter is good because it's generally public into the insights of MRI patients. Uh, So if you've ever had an MRI, uh, it's a very, it can be a very harrowing experience. There's a lot of very confined spaces. Uh, There's a lot of loud noises. You're basically alone for the, the entire procedure. The doctors leave the room. Um, but there's no real good way for the actual doctors involved and the, 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 uh, radio technologists, the people that actually run the MRIs to get feedback about how they could improve the procedure in general. And so this study looked at Twitter as a way for medical professionals to be able to gain insight into kind of the minds of MRI recipients. And I, I thought it was just such an interesting thing because you wouldn't really think about it. But when someone says that, like, wow, yeah, people, people will go get an MRI and then tweet about what it was like. And it'd be pretty easy to use Twitter search to figure out, to, to find people talking about their MRIs on Twitter. And they would share either if a doctor or a technologist or a technician uh, did something good or did something bad you would hear about that. You'd you'd see people talking about it. And it, that could end up being really valuable feedback to to make the process better, to make it less scary for kids or less scary for older people, anyone that might be kind of predisposed to um, being a little more weirded out by the entire process, people that aren't familiar with. When I got an MRI, it was very straightforward because I knew it was going to be loud. Uh, I'm not particularly claustrophobic. So it was just kind of like, also with my leg, it wasn't my head or anything. So I was just like, okay, this is this is going to happen. I know exactly what it's going to be like. I did a a seminar in grad school. Literally, I gave us a, a talk on MRI, so I knew what to expect, but a lot of people could I could see be being being very freaked out by the entire process. And so hearing about hearing about it as doctors could be really beneficial to improving the process for for patients everywhere.
1: Now, do you think that MRI could benefit from the playing of dubstep music? just really that, loud dubstep because then like yeah. any noise from the machine is just or the instrument is just entirely expected i i definitely think so perhaps even beneficial yeah skrillex could save save lives he could definitely could, he could ease suffering <laughs>
0: for once
2: have these labs not heard of feedback forms at the reception desk
0: People don't really fill those out, and if they do, it's because they had some. Like when you go in for a medical procedure, you don't go back to the feedback form and write that was scary. You would go back and write, "Oh, my technician was kind of a dick," but you wouldn't. You wouldn't give feedback on the actual procedure unless you were specifically asked about it. But right, that's are what I'm saying. Do Come that. up
2: with a form that says, "How could we improve your experience? Was it too dark? <sighs> was it too noisy?" I feel like Twitter is a better way to get people's actual
0: thoughts on sure it. like because people are more type, honest yeah right yeah. yeah but a feedback form would work but asking that kind of thing you're 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 kind of by doing a form like that you're kind of getting a certain type of feedback it, it, depending on how you phrase the question whereas if if people just go and look at for comments after people had mris you'd get i think you get a lot more better representation of what actually are the shortcomings and what are the good parts of the experience
2: you're also getting a very set type of person who's a willing to go on twitter to voice their Mm -hmm. voice their experience and generally they're going to be negative
1: most people gonna be like wow i had a really good
2: mri the other day
1: is anyone ever going to say that that's what i mean like
2: right but they're not
0: looking to they're not looking to self-validate they're looking for ways to improve it they're not like, yeah, I was really good at MRIs today.
2: Thought <laughs> I was really good at MRIs. I had a really good MRI. Right. No, it, but it's like, it's oh, like the, the person looking for the comments, right?
0: Yeah, you don't. If your offensive line in football is good, then you don't hear about it. But if it's bad, then you—that's all you hear about. I think it's the same thing. You don't necessarily care. Nobody cares if you had a good MRI if it was uneventful. But if something went wrong, or if there was something that was weird for you or off, then you'd want to hear about it.
2: i think it's cool though i think just twitter in general is good for any of that feedback yeah, like yeah. for any company that isn't on twitter or at least monitoring twitter for mentions of their own place or that kind of thing yeah. they're missing out on a lot of a lot of insight yeah, for, for sure,
0: sure. uh in the last story here mike we have a very uh i, I assume this is going to be quick a new <laughs> kickstarter you wanted to talk about i i saw this and it's definitely interesting, but it's definitely the last story of the day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Have you guys heard of the Scrub Daddy before? No. It's the sponge that was invented by this guy in the States, and it was put on Shark Tank. And people, This I think the QVC person invested in it and sold a bunch, and now it's in Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever, and it's pretty successful. And the same guy came up with the idea of making a belt that had battery packs in it and could charge Mm -hmm. your phone instead of having to carry around a battery pack all day. And he partnered with this other guy who had the same idea. And now they're kickstartering a belt that does exactly that. You plug your USB cable into the little, not the buckly end, but the other end that goes through the buckle. There's like a little kind of USB outlet on the end and it plugs into the batteries that are kind of lined throughout the belt and it charges your phone. So it's like a 3000, Milliamp hour, I think I mm-hmm. put on yeah, here. That's what it says. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty useful thing. I don't know if, I have a battery pack now, so I don't need this, but I right. think, like it says it's available for 89 bucks on Kickstarter, 130 for retail, um, which is a pretty good deal for Kickstarter. Like if you're going to have a $40 premium on it, if you don't buy into it early.
0: Um, yeah. This no, seems like if- a, expensive thing given the price of batteries now well the hurdle an an expensive
2: belt the hurdle is to make the batteries like practical for being put in a belt yeah like you can't can't just throw double a's in there you gotta actually have them flexible or pliable or whatever Mm
1: -hmm. now if if you needed extra storage capacity could you get suspenders (laughs)
2: <laughs> that could yes. be a follow up product.
1: Oh. Um, <laughs> wearing the suspenders today. I'm going to be using a lot of my or I'm going to be using my phone a lot. Yeah, the the problem I have with this
0: is the same thing I have with most wearable battery is that it's going to be really hot. Not really hot, but it's going to be hot and what if it like if it rains, I'd be really worried about it shorting. Do, you, I,
2: do your pants get very wet when it rains, Rob? Yes, my pants get
1: very wet all the time. Mike, have you experienced a real Ontario rainstorm, just out of curiosity?
2: <laughs> not so much that my belt gets wet. My okay, belt's gotten you, wet in Ontario I rainstorms.
1: I was going to say, like, I, I've been in the rain here, and it's honestly not that bad. There's been one rainstorm where I really got soaked, and that immediately preceded the Alberta floods in 2013. But, like honestly here it's nothing it rains and it's just nothing it's over in 20 minutes maybe right i i remember walking home in london from the bar a couple times and it just started raining out of nowhere and it rained the whole time <laughs> you get like the rebound off the street is like a good three right. three centimeters maybe bouncing back right and you just everything is soaked everything yeah i've
0: I've experienced that wholeheartedly
1: you merely adopted the rain. I was born in it. I didn't. I didn't know what dryness was until I was already a man.
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty good uh, impression.
2: What was that an impression of?
0: That was Bane.
2: From Bane, like from Marvel,
0: Dark Knight Rises. Was it not, Nick?
1: Yeah, that was Bane.
0: Yeah.
2: Or that's DC then. This
0: Batman. Mike, go watch The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's
0: very clear you haven't seen it.
1: Yeah. Um I'm glad I'm glad Rob was here to get that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's bizarre. Um
0: being a being a father has meant e- yeah. being even being a pre father has meant that you uh did not watch movies. It's true. That's very disappointing (laughs) i'm actually i'm gonna set you that for homework because that's a good movie i still
2: have to watch the turing movie it's on netflix now
0: yeah i have to watch that too actually uh all right anything else to say on the belt or is that just you you've you've told people
2: about it they can go and find it on kickstarter if they want yeah it's called the ion belt okay yeah scheduled to ship in june 2016 so for those of you still Sleep. in the market for a battery pack, which Nick, from the sound of it, you are because yeah, you're talking about how your batteries are very good. I'd recommend I that totally.
1: Am yeah. Although what's I have a nice little battery pack now, a travel battery charger, but the limiting factor appears to be my USB cords, which are actively wearing out. Yeah, but those are super which, cheap. I don't know why they don't. You know how like chargers have the kind of tapered extra plastic so that it doesn't bend and sever the yeah the wire. I don't know why they don't do that more often. Everyone wants it to look slick and nice and then it just breaks yeah they
0: Ugh. should definitely have two kinds a nice kind and a rugged kind yeah,
1: absolutely
3: yeah
0: yeah all right in that case we have a bit of after show, but we'll wrap up the the show for now uh I'll thank you once again for listening to this week's episode of future chat. Uh, I'd like to thank Audible.com for helping to support the show. Uh, if you head to slash unwind, you can get a free audiobook and a free 30 day trial to try out uh, Audible's audiobook service. Uh, and we'll be back here next week with more science and tech talk. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And head to unwindmediacom feature chat to see past episodes and more. See you next time. Ciao. Bye. Uh, okay, Nick, what do you want to talk about after show wise? Seas.
1: Sorry, did you say after show wiseies? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so you were asking how much power a trillion kilowatts was, a trillion kilowatt hours was. I was. I've done some just basic Googling and basic back of the envelope calculations. A trillion kilowatt hours is roughly the power consumption of 27, 28 million. Alberta or Saskatchewan homes in a year. Okay, wait.
0: Um, why those specific? Because there aren't that many homes in Alberta and Saskatchewan.
1: Well, no, like if based on their power consumption, because they're okay. Okay. Apparently, they're the highest power consumers in the in the country. Woo! Weird. <laughs> Gets cold, and it's dark. Heating isn't cheap. Yeah! 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 And also, I think I think part of it's that coal power is cheap. and We're running on coal, so we just use it with reckless abandon.
0: Right, makes sense. Um, in that case, Mike, do you want to talk a bit about your experience with Amazon Prime? Because I have a little bit to say.
2: Uh, I think I kind of mentioned it before. I don't know if that was on air or not.
0: but, but you're you're canceling. You're not going through. With oh, the...
2: yeah. Well, yeah. This economically doesn't we don't order enough from amazon to pay for it on a monthly basis for the free Mm ship for the expedited shipping but i think it's shown that it's worth paying for the two-day shipping if it's something that you want right away like yeah it's it's beautiful
0: i uh i signed up for the trial and immediately like it's 80 bucks for a year and it gets you a a lot of stuff um but the two-day shipping like i I ordered some recording stuff for other unwind podcasts like Ottawa. And it saved me like 35 bucks on shipping. Just having, getting this one, one delivery is worth like six different items in two shipments. It's uh if you're, if you're ordering anything with any regularity, it's an incredibly good deal and you get it. Like I got half the package within one business day. It was like less than 24 hours. The other one showed up
2: the following morning when in places like new york and possibly san francisco same day one hour yeah they have like yeah yeah, it's like a couple hour shipping yeah just fantastic
0: yeah much better than dealing with any kind of courier or any delivery like canada post because it was uh, was like because amazon delivers with canada post it was even the package that was small enough to fit in my community mailbox i didn't have to wait for the truck I, i was home so it didn't matter but like they just showed up it just showed up in my community mailbox. That I didn't have to sit there and wait.
2: Yeah. Speaking of Canada post, <laughs> they did not notify me of my soil did. and shipment arriving.
0: So did you get it?
2: I haven't been at work since I saw that it was there.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, that's, I know seems like your fault.
2: No, it's not my fault.
0: It, but it does though. Right. No, kind of. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's, that's all I have. You guys have anything else to say in the after show
1: i would like to once again reiterate that alberta needs to get off its ass and build a nuke <laughs> and i've actually learned recently that there was a project to try and get a nuke built up near grand prairie peace river region and i thought oh man that's perfect there's there's not a whole lot of stuff around there's it's not so far away that it makes transmission costs just prohibitive prohibitively expensive this is this is perfect and of course, it didn't go through because Nimbiasm. Right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they have a. And we're more
1: than we're more than happy to throw up like you know fields upon fields of wind turbines, but a nuke. Oh. Rabble, rabble, rabble.
2: <laughs> They're building a refinery up there, somewhere up. There. Yeah, Wonderful. because
1: that's clearly less dangerous than a nuke. <laughs> that's the way for the future. You got have you gotta have a refinery. That means jobs.
2: It's true. <laughs> Don't roll your <laughs> eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah because because a nuke would have no benefit to alberta whatsoever
2: what you need one guy running it
1: improved air quality for the entirety of the province yeah but like um uh eh.